Nation Rosech, my prayer for you today is that you would encounter Jesus, that you would experience the life of who he is, that, that you would leave here different from the way that you came. We don't just come to church to tick a box, we come to church to meet the maker of the universe, to together experience what heaven on earth is like. So Lord, we come and we, we give ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, come and transform our hearts, make us new. Lord God, we don't want to just do our duty today. We'll do our duty, but most of all, we want to meet with you. Lord God, we want to see you clearer, know you more, understand your ways better. Holy Spirit, come and do this for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Wonder Man, I just did want to mention, you, did, you didn't say it, but men can sleep over at the camp as well. Okay. So they can go Friday uh, and then come back on Saturday, or they can just go on Saturday, or they can go for the whole time. Okay. So there are many options. So please go and look at those. I know last, last year's camp, um, they came back from the camp and said, please, can we do two next year? We loved it so much. So this is number one. I'm not sure if we're going to manage a number two. So manage, please, please get to that one. We are on our new series today. We start our book of Acts. You are welcome to, at the book table, go and get our devotional that is there. Or you can download our devotional from, the, from our website, everynationramesuch.co.za. ianramesuch.co.za. You can download it from there. What we are hoping in this particular series is we're actually going to ask you in your connect groups. Also, if you're not in a connect group, you're welcome to go to our info table, put your name down there, and we'll help you get into a connect group. Or you can just find a connect group leader and say, can I be with you? That would also be fine. But we are hoping that in your connect group, you would read through together two chapters of the book of Acts. And then at the end, we have to put a couple more. So in the end, you'll be reading three chapters at a time in a week. But we want you to read through at least two chapters, and then we want you to discuss them in your connect group. And we want you to come with your thoughts about those chapters. So in other words, we want you to discover the truth for yourself. And then we'll only preach on those chapters after you have done that. So we want you to come to the, the text, to the Bible, with open minds and free hearts. And we want you to hear what God is saying for you. And then we'll also do the same, and then we'll preach on it, and we'll, we'll compare notes. How's that? So we would love you to be in a connect group and to get hold of that material. The material's not complicated. It basically goes, read two chapters of Acts and discuss it. It's, it's fairly, fairly simple, but we'd love you to be part of the journey as we, as we journey through the book of Acts. So I was the first one in my family to get saved. And when I came to my family to tell them that I was now born again, I came with such a jubilant heart. I was so excited about what I discovered. And my expectation was that they would be so happy also. It was quite a shock to me to see their downcast faces and to see that 
that they really weren't all that happy. They were more confused than happy. And after a while, they were a little bit belligerent. They were like, no, you know, this isn't the way we do it. This is not, this is not our culture. This is not how things are. And there was a high amount of pushback. And I, I was devastated because, you know, at that age, I think I was 18, 19, maybe 20, and I, I can work out exactly how old I was because I know exactly what year it happened. I was 20. And I, 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 was, I still wanted the affection and approval of my parents. And I remember wrestling inside and, and having this temptation to tone down my Christianity because of them. And I told this to the lady who was discipling me. And she said something that marked me for the rest of my life. She said this. She said, the best thing you can do for the people you love is to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Because in so doing, he will bless you. Your life will change to such an extent that they will look on with a godly jealousy and want what you have. The best thing you can do for those you love is to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And you know, I said, yes, ma'am. And I jumped into Jesus with my whole heart, followed him as radically as I could. My parents' jaws just kept on dropping. My sisters were confused. As we speak, both my parents are born again. All my siblings are born again. All my nieces and nephews are born again. In fact, the entire family that I grew up with are serving Jesus. The best thing you can do for the people you love is to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. You see, the book of Acts... The book of Acts shows us what happens to the world when we dare to follow Jesus. The book of Acts shows us what happens to the world when we dare to follow Jesus. The book of Acts was written by a man by the name of Luke. And he not only wrote this book, but he wrote the gospel of Luke. Strange thing. His name's right there on it. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. Interestingly enough, he wrote more words in the New Testament than any other author. He didn't write more books, but he wrote more words. So he's a very, yeah, come on, Luke, and let's just Luke over there. You know, you know that's not mine. You know where that came from. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Andrew Gosman. So we're going to look into the words that Luke wrote. This book is full of epic adventures. It's full of men and women who are radically transformed by the power of the gospel. They go into all the world and they um, have encounters with 
fortune tellers and idol makers. They are, are thrown in jail and are miraculously released. They see healings, visions, signs and wonders. There's a, there are uh, time and time again just uh, delightful, delightful stories of their deep, deep and meaningful friendships that they lived and and worked as they traveled from place to place declaring the word of God, declaring what they knew. The book of Acts tells us how the story of Jesus went from a small little nation called Israel and touched the world. The book of Acts starts like this. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, his former book is obviously the Gospel of Luke. Theophilus, interestingly enough, means lover of God. And I am sure that there was a person, Theophilus, that he was actually writing to, but it's a beautiful name, and it, it means that every lover of God, this book is written for you. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication of that statement means that this book is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Of course, Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead and had gone, ascended into heaven at this stage. So the way that Jesus continued to do and teach was that he put his spirit into people and they took his words and his actions and they spread them yeah. around the world. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Here we see Jesus giving his disciples three things. And because Luke wrote them down, Jesus reaches through the ages and gives them to us too. The three things that he gave his disciples was he gave them instructions. He gave them convincing proofs. Interestingly, that word proofs there literally means eyewitness encounters. So he gave them encounters, real life experiences, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. He gave them a picture. When we look at the instructions that he gave, we see two main instructions that, that kind of like stand like pillars as we go into the book of Acts. Two giant sayings that he said to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven. The first one that he gave Luke wrote down in his gospel, right at the end of his gospel, and it's in Luke 24. And it says, but stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay means to remain where you are. We understand this. Very quick English, English lesson. Stay means keep. Keep where you are. Then he said, also around the same time, no, just, just recorded by Matthew instead of by Luke. 
he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations. Go means to not stay where you are, but to move somewhere and do something else. So he gave these two giant instructions. The one, one, one was to stay and the one was to go. Have you ever felt confused in your Christianity? Imagine how those poor guys felt. Stay in Jerusalem and go and make disciples. Which one is it? The answer is both. And in our Christianity, and as we, as we read the book of Acts, I want you to see how these two instructions inform everything about how they ministered, how they lived, and what they did. In everything, they waited, stayed, remained in Christ for the power of God. They, they were continually abiding in his presence, living in his presence, and waiting for the power of God to lead them, to fill them. Nothing they did was just out of, like some darn good idea. They did it because they, they were filled with his presence. And they were being led from that place of fullness. And then at the same time, as they received, they received the power of the Spirit, they, they went into all the world with this power, and they demonstrated the kingdom wherever they went. They spoke of it. They healed the sick. They, they encountered unbelievers and stood up for their faith and saw miraculous signs and wonders. But they never stopped waiting. They didn't stay in Jerusalem. But they still continuously, you see it over and over again, received the power of the Spirit. It's like they, they learned how to abide and wait for Him in their souls. And they learned at the same time how to be about His business with the power of the Spirit. And it's true of our Christianity that, that these are probably two of the, the greatest instructions that we receive from him. Wait for my power and go and make disciples. So you're an engineer. What are you meant to do? Wait for his power and go and make disciples. You're a school teacher. What are you meant to do? Wait for his power. Go and make disciples. You're a mother. You're a father. You're a student. What are you meant to do? Wait for his power and go and make disciples. Let these two commandments work hand in hand in everyday life. As you go about your business, you can expect his power and follow his lead. You can expect his power and you can follow his lead. When we were part of the, this church, Every Nation Joburg, when it began, I, um, I wasn't married to Andrew yet, but fiercely in love with him. And I actually worked multimedia and he led worship. So he was kind of like my boss. It was like this boss crush thing that was going on. <laughs> but uh, <sighs> There was this girl that had started coming to church on and off. Her name was Corinne. And her and I struck up a friendship. And, and I was doing this wait, expect his power, and follow Jesus' lead. 
And so in my relationship with her, I was telling her about what God had done and we prayed through some things that were going on in her life. One day I was driving to church in my little green beetle. You know, I've told you about my little green beetle, the one with the, the heater couldn't, you know, switch off except manually with a lever. But I was driving to church in this little green beetle. And as I'm going, I'm thinking about Jesus. In my heart, I'm waiting for his power. And as we're driving along, I feel his presence with me in the car. And I get the sense that there's something going on with Corinne. And I get the sense that I'm supposed to go past her apartment. It's a big dilemma. Because if I go past her apartment, I'm late for church and I disappoint my boss. You know, that's, that's a serious thing at this stage in my life. But even then, Jesus was my Lord. So you know who I chose. I chose Jesus. And I drove past her apartment, uh, went up, knocked on the door, and there's no response. So in my heart, I'm thinking, well, I obviously miss Jesus. You know, it happens. Walking back to my car, this feeling just won't go away. Ah, so sorry, Andrew Gosman. I walk back, bang on the door, no response. Bang again, no response. Three or four times, finally I hear a rustling movement in the, behind the door, and she opens the door, looking totally disheveled and just in a bad state. And I say, hey, Corinne, you know, I was driving to church, and I just felt like I was supposed to stop by here. Are you okay? And she looked me in the eye, the tears starting coming down her face. No, I'm not okay. I was contemplating how to commit suicide. You know, uh, at, at that age, you know, it's like that's a, that's a tall order. But Jesus' power was with me. I went inside. I mean, I don't think I said anything profound. I don't think I said anything marvelous. I think I said something like, Jesus loves you. Don't do it. (laughs) As simple as that. Come with me. Let's go to church. She got dressed. She came to church. She actually became, um, after that, one of our leaders in our next church plant that we did in Pretoria. So God really did a mighty work in her heart. But you see, these instructions remain. We wait. We expect his power and we make disciples. Both of these things live together as instructions that stand forever for the church of the living God. Receive his power, make disciples. So he gave them instructions, but he also gave them an encounter with him. Jesus lived with them for three years and John, another one of his apostles, put it this way in his, one of his letters that he wrote, First John. He said it like this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, talking about Jesus, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Can you see the encounter language? Can you hear the encounter language? John wasn't talking about some intellectual understanding he had about doctrine that he was going into the world to talk about. He was talking about a living person that he had encountered and he was going to tell the world what it was like to live with Jesus, what it was like to have Jesus as his Lord, what it was like to be a partner with Jesus in life, what it was like to actually be with a living, breathing, God who was with us. 
And Jesus made this promise. Right when he said, go into, go and make disciples of all nations, he finished that statement with, and I will be with you always. This promise was not just for the disciples, it was, was for us. That, that encounter Christianity is meant to be our portion. We are meant to live in a way that tells the world that we are in relationship with a living, breathing, alive God who cares. You see, when I look at Christianity, the, gl- the global concept of Christianity, I see two kinds of Christianity. I see cultural Christianity. And cultural Christianity is this. I'm not Muslim. And I'm not Hindu. So when I fill in my forms, I tick Christian. Cultural Christianity is that my parents call themselves Christian and their parents call themselves Christian. But you see, in the kingdom of God, there are no grandchildren. There are only sons and daughters. There are no nieces and nephews and cousins. There are only sons and daughters. The only way you come into the kingdom is with a personal relationship with the living God. You can't come into the kingdom because your parents were Christian. You can't come into the the kingdom because you ticked Christian on the box of that form when they said, what religion are you? You see, cultural Christianity is just, it's a label that we use for a a certain cultural way of living. But my friend, it's not true Christianity. And, And the difficulty about cultural Christianity is that it's mixed with all kinds of other cultural issues. And it becomes this hodgepodge of way of living that we associate and call Christian. It means we go to church on Christmas and Easter and we consult the ancestors from time to time. And it means we go to church on Christmas and Easter and we pray to the saints when things are really bad. It means we call ourselves Christian but we have a spiritist guide. It means that our we We go to church every now and then, but our life is informed by the influences on social media. This is cultural Christianity, my friends, and it's not Christianity at all. Jesus said this. He said to his detractors at the time, because of your traditions, you nullify the word of God. Cultural Christianity nullifies the word of God, and it is not Christianity at all. There's another kind of Christianity that I see operating in the world, and that is intellectual Christianity. And this kind of Christianity is obsessed with arguments. It's obsessed with discussions. Who did Adam and Eve's children marry? Why are there so many contradictions in the Bible? How do all the religions fit together? 
constant arguing and learning and discussions and going around and around the same points over and over again. Jesus called it this, not Jesus. Um, actually, Paul, the apostle, wrote this in Second Timothy. He talked about how in the last days, people will be ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because you see, truth is not a proposition. It's not a set of doctrines. It's not a set of arguments. It's a person. Truth is not defined by the cleverest thing you can think of. Truth is defined by who Jesus is. Nothing more and nothing less. And so you can get this intellectual Christianity that actually acts as a barrier between you and God. Because you think that if I can understand, then I'll believe. But you see, that never, ever happens because the Bible is very clear that apart from Jesus, our understanding is darkened. It cannot comprehend truth. That we need an act of grace by the living God to change the way we think so that we can believe. And the truth is, you must first believe, then you will understand. Then your mind will be be enlightened and then truth will be obvious to you. And it doesn't mean that all your questions are irrelevant and you should just pretend like, like everything's fine even though you've, you've got these, these thoughts going in your mind. That's not it. But it means that you only solve those issues by first believing, by first trusting in the living God, by first accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by first acknowledging him as the holder of all truth. And without that, you cannot know truth. You see, the only kind of Christianity that really matters is the Jesus changed my life Christianity. It's the encounter with Jesus that made the difference. That I was tormented by anxiety and then I met Jesus and peace filled my heart. I didn't get all my questions answered, but I knew that I had been transformed by an encounter with a real living God. I don't know what your story is, but you all have a story. And it goes like this. This is how I was, racked by these things, bound by those things. And then I met Jesus, and now I am different. Not all my questions are answered. I don't know everything, but I do know this. Jesus changed me. Jesus changed me. And indeed, this is the story of Acts. People who are transformed by an encounter with Jesus and walk into the world and tell the world, what I have, you can have too. What I have, you can have too. I'm reminded when I think about it, two remarkable stories that I've been listening to of late and reading And the one is a woman called Rebecca McLaughlin. She's a famous apologist, uh, wrote a book called something. It's a really good book. (laughs) Confronting Christianity, that's what it's called. And I, I think of Nabil Koresh, who also, he passed away just a little while back, but a profound... Apologist. Rebecca McLaughlin, she, she came out of 
cultural Christianity. She had same-sex attraction. She had uh, gone through intellectual studies and become a very great academic and was in process of kind of rejecting her, her Christian roots. And then, while she was thinking about some of the religious arguments that she had been mulling over in her mind, she had an encounter with Jesus. She, she reported that it just suddenly became obvious that he was real. And I said yes to him, and everything changed. And even though um, she, she now was transformed, some of the battles she's had before, like same-sex attraction, for instance, didn't go away. But she now, she now had another focus of her life. Now Jesus was the focus, not her battles. And to, at this time, she is married with children and a powerful defender of the faith of the living God because she had an encounter. Nabil Koresh came out of um, intellectual Christianity, so he tells a fascinating story how he was Muslim, but he was a very, very strong academic and a very smart mind, and he had entered into debates with Christians and various people defending the Christian faith, uh, defending the, the Muslim faith. He, he wrote the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And in the middle of these arguments... It wasn't the arguments that convinced him. One day, he met Jesus. One day, the power of the living God came into his room, and he knew he had dreams and experiences, and he knew that Jesus was real. And he still went on arguing against him. And then finally, his friend just said, come on, dude. And he said, you know, you're right. Jesus is true. And he bowed his knee. And he said, everything changes. All the, all the arguments that he'd used against Christianity, he now turned them around and used them for Christianity. You see, then, we are changed by an encounter. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to make dead people live. came to make dead people live. And my exhortation to you today is live. Live. Go and live with glistening hope for the future because Jesus is alive. Go and live with exploding joy about the world around you because Jesus is in charge. Live with deep Deep, connected relationships, life-giving relationship, because Jesus died for you. Let's live wholeheartedly and passionately with Jesus as our Lord, declaring that, living it, living the fullness of what he's done for us. Let's go out and live. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. For three years, he worked with his apostle, his disciples, who would later become no, known as the apostles. And in those three years, he steeped them in a picture. 
He marinated them for all you bride lovers. He marinated them in a story. And the story goes like this. This is God's world. And he is taking every part of it back. Here I am to do it. He steeped them in a story that showed them that when Jesus is Lord, every sickness is healed. He steeped them in a story. He marinated in them in a truth that when Jesus is Lord, every tormented soul comes right. He, he doused them, covered them, clothed them in the reality that this world will bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That the entire creation will be remade in the in the way that God meant it to be, that there will be a new heaven and earth, there will be a resurrection, that no one who believes in Jesus Christ will ever die. He's, he steeped them in a story, in a picture of what was to come. You know that when you use Google Maps, I don't know if you do this, I always go, on the bottom left, they have like a little picture that's a 180 degree view. Do you, do you remember that? And for me, whenever I'm going there, I always press that and have a little squiz around the place I'm going. Because, you know, sometimes it's hard to know which, is this 18B or is that 18B? But now, now I've got that little squiz. I have, I have a picture of where I'm going, so I'm very unlikely to miss it. The problem is that in present day society, even Christians are being marinated in a story that is coming from media, that is coming from our cultures. And as a result, we sometimes have a wrong picture of where we are meant to be. And as a result, we sometimes miss the destination. Sometimes we point our vehicle in the wrong direction because we're marinating in the wrong picture. We're marinating in a picture of hopelessness. We're marinating in a picture of materialism. We're marinating in a picture of self-help. We're marinating in a picture of just make your life better with these three, four easy steps. We're marinating in a picture of how disastrous things are, how bad this is, how terrible that is. And as a result, we can't see where we're going. You see, God wants to come and restore to each and all every one of us, a picture. And the book of Acts does this so beautifully. It allows us to live in the reality of what will happen when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It will, it will change our minds to see that the environment we're in is not, the state of the environment we're in is not dependent on anything other than where the Christians are in that environment. And that the life that is in us can actually change what is around us. The book of Acts will show you how when Christianity, go back, how when Christianity lives in us, when Christ lives in us, there's this confrontation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness always bows. It always bows.
And my exhortation to you is to upgrade your picture. Upgrade your picture. If your life is not glistening with hope, if your life is not radiating joy, if your life is not infused with deep loving relationships, the picture that you're working towards is wrong. The picture that you're working towards is wrong because that's not God's picture for your life, nor is it his picture for the world. The book of Acts shows you what happens to your world when you dare to follow Jesus. Let's dare to follow Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray. That Father, as we, as we delve into this book, Lord God, that those instructions, those giant pillars of our faith, Father God, that they would motivate us. They would define us. Lord God, I pray that our encounters with you would also become a defining revelation, not only to us, but to the world around us. Lord God, as the Roman authorities, the, the Jewish authorities said of the disciples, they took note that they had been with Jesus. Let the world take note that we have been with Jesus. Let them take note that we have been with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would upgrade upgrade picture we have of the future, of our future, of the world, of what you're doing. Lord God, I make a declaration over every life here that when Jesus is Lord, everything is right and well. Lord God, I make that declaration over every life here. Holy Spirit, grace us to bring every part of our souls under your Lordship. Help us to let go where we have been in charge and say, Jesus, come and be in charge. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I would love us all to stand. And if you are here, You might be coming out of cultural Christianity. You may, you may have called yourself a Christian for a very long time. But as I've been speaking, you realize that you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. You might be coming out of intellectual Christianity where you have been arguing through the different aspects, but now you realize you need to surrender. Or you may just realize that you need Jesus. And if you are one of those categories, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we all pray it together? Lord Jesus, I come to you. 
I surrender my life. I give up my arguments. Lord God, I even surrender my, my culture to you. Lord God, I declare you as Lord of my life. I turn from the way I've been living and I turn to you and I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would forgive me and I pray that you would make me right with you. In Jesus' name, I pray this, Lord. I trust you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I would love to pray with you personally. So is there anyone who did that? Won't you just raise your hand? Because I would love to actually pray with you, lay hands on you. Is there anyone? Just raise your hand high if you prayed that and meant it. Is there anyone here? Is there anyone here? Awesome. You're welcome to come and speak to me afterwards if you need to ask any questions. But the last thing I want to pray for is I want to pray for an encounter with Jesus for every person here, a deeper and a richer encounter with him, that, that, that stay in Jerusalem, that wait for his power, that expect his power would become a normal part of our experience. So I'm going to invite you to just raise your hands. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and touch every person here? Lord God, we want more than just a mental understanding of who you are. We want a life filled with encounters. We want stories. We want stories like the book of Acts stories, Lord God. When we spoke for you and things happened, where we prayed for people and things happened, where we had conversations and things happened, when we went on mission and things happened, Lord God, when we were in the office and things happened, Lord God, we want those stories. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and give us ongoing, daily encounters with you? Holy Spirit, continuously fill us with your presence. Change our minds. Lord God, we want to see more than we've ever seen before. We want to see a picture that is bigger, more beautiful, more true than we've ever seen before. Lord God, we want to be transformed by your power. We want to be transformed by your presence. Lord God, don't leave us where we are. Take us forward. Take us into something new. Make us new, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to let us wait there a little bit. Some of you will just feel His presence resting on you. Can you just take a minute to breathe that in? To allow that to happen in your soul. To feel His love. To say yes to Him. Thank you, Lord. We receive you. We receive you. We receive you. We receive you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.